Give us passion for the journey. Passion for the crossing of the waters. Passion for what's down the road. Passion for the vision of the future and not just being stuck in the past. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 This morning I want us to turn, if we could, to um, <clears throat> a couple different passages. We're going to start in one passage, we're going to end in another, and we're going to try to do it fairly quickly and not take all day, because number one, we don't have this place all day yet, not until next week, and number two, you're probably not interested in hearing me talk that long. <laughs> not to mention, I'm not interested in hearing me talk that long. So for the first passage, we're going to start off in Exodus. And um, this is going to be, what's that? what I do? <laughs> also, what's good about being married is when you're in transition, it keeps you humble. And then, <clears throat> apart from what was just said... Let's turn into Exodus, and um, we're going all the way into Exodus chapter, um, hold on a second, let me turn there real quick. Exodus chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, Oh, crud. <laughs> he didn't say, Oh, crud. That's what I say when I shut the Bible on myself. <laughs> For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. <clears throat> then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor of Pharaoh over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And this story comes, we heard Patrick talk about it a week ago, but this story comes after they just saw all the plagues and after they made their exodus from Egypt and Pharaoh had finally consented to their leaving to go to a three-day worship in the wilderness so that they could offer offerings to God and then hopefully return back to Egypt. What God was doing was much bigger than that. He was not planning on a return at all. He was planning on the final deal. Take everything with you, leave quickly, even take the spoils of war with you. Take all the gold and everything they got. Whatever they'll give you, take it with you and go. And God's plan was, I'm going to destroy the infrastructure, the leadership, the government, and everything that stands against you, the army, the military, and whatever. They're going to be crushed. And then you're going to be free people. You're going to get something much bigger than just a three-day worship retreat. You're getting freedom. The people go to the edge of the sea... They see the armies coming. They know that their end is near unless something happens miraculous. Now, they're not expecting any other miracles at this point. And they start being upset and confused and sad and wondering why they came out to this wilderness to die. There was nowhere to go. Backs against the wall. God had to do something. Moses turns to God. The only correct, only good choice. He says, God, you've got to do something. If you don't do something, we're going to be dead right here. Did you bring us out here to die? God says, I've got a great idea. I want you to take that stick I gave you, or that you already had that I gave you back. I want you to hold it over the sea and watch. Right? That's a great idea, God. 
Moses returns to the Israelites. If our Moses had returned to the Israelites and say, I've just heard from the Lord. We've come here to die. You know, because that's what it sounds like, right? <laughs> he told me to hold a stick over the water. What are we talking about, man? Ah! You know, mass pandemonium. People were running around screaming, ah! banging into each other and falling down, right? Can you see it in your head? That would be my response. Moses did not have that response comes back to the people and said, God's going to deliver us. Watch this. Last great words of a redneck. Two last great words of a redneck. Watch this. <laughs> they all say it before they do something extremely stupid. Hey man, watch this. Moses walks over to the edge of the water, thinking in his mind, watch this, holds the stick out, and what happens? God comes, and the water's parted. Carol left him about to watch this thing. I can tell you so many stories. <laughs> you may watch this. So anyways, the water parts, and we know the rest of the story. They cross on dry land. Miriam does a dance. Everybody's excited. And they're happy for about a week or two. Because <laughs> they grumbled the whole trip. The journey was not a joy for Moses. Let's just put it that way. However, we don't realize that the journey is supposed to be the most fun part. Getting to the promised land is the fun stuff, right? That is the fun stuff. That's the story. Listen, check this out. What story was repeated over and over throughout Israel's history and even today? Was it the story, number one, of David? No. Was it the story of all the judges? No. Was it the story of the prophets? No. They're all written, but they're not repeated ceremoniously every year, ceremonially every year. What is still repeated every year in Jewish heritage? What story is the most encouraging to them? Passover, the Exodus, the story of their Savior, the, the hope of Messiah in the future. Listen, the journey is the story. Oftentimes we're always looking to destinations. Guess what? Tomorrow never becomes today. Ever. It's always tomorrow. We need to live today. If you're always living tomorrow, you'll never live. I'm going to live today. Right? And what if tomorrow does never come? I want my story to be written right now. Just in case that thing that I'm always looking forward to doesn't happen. Because the miracles that need to be told are here in the journey. Right? They're going to be repeated over and over. Transition. That's the first story I want to look at. And the reason why I want to look at that story is because that story was repeated over and over. And we come to another story in the Bible in Joshua. Let's look at Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning... And they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed the river. Before they crossed the river. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set up from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. 
We're at a point in the church where we have not passed this way before. It looks similar. It's not the same. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day, this day, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that it was as I was with Moses, so I now will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you will stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. He is present. And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites and Jebusites. Bam! Say that real fast three times. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. This is a big river, overflown, engorged, and huge. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that's beside Zeratun. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the, sea, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. The people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. <clears throat> Israel was against, back against the wall again. God had told them to go to Jericho. The water was overflowing. They were at a place where if God didn't come and do something, nobody, number one, would know that, that Joshua was to lead them next. Number two, they would not know that God was with them to take Jericho. Number three, they were likely not to get everybody across the water. I think it's interesting that this passage replicates a parting of water at the beginning of Joshua's ministry and leadership, just as it did with Moses' leadership and ministry. I think it's also interesting that, that Joshua stated, don't go ahead of the ark because you don't know this way. You've never been this way before. In ministry, oftentimes things look the same, but they're not the same at all. And you think, oh man, we've done this. We've been in a school before. We've done ministry this way before, or even in our personal lives. You know, this is, why is it I always have to keep doing this over and over? I've been in a bad job before. I've been in a dead-end place before. Why am I doing this again? Do you know what I'm saying? Yet at the same time, you've never been this way before with God. 
and you're standing at the water, back against the edge. Everything looks like it's coming down on top of you. And you've got to wait on God for Him to do something. Guys, it's a good thing. This part of the journey is a great thing. And here's Joshua back against the water, looking at the people. Now, if I were Joshua, I would want God to come in some visible form, walk through, cut off the water and go, yo, follow me, you know? Or, even better, how about we do that fire and cloud thing? We've done that before, God, you know? Or, check this out, if I'm Joshua, yo, God, where's my staff? I saw Moses do that once, but no, that's not how God does it with Joshua. He doesn't give him the way it used to be. You can't go this way the same way, Joshua. How does God cause Joshua to do it? He says, I tell you what, go and get in the water. And then I'm going to show up. Let me ask you a question. What takes more faith? Holding a stick out over the water? Out by the side where you're still dry? Or getting dead in the middle of it and going, Alright, what part is it where you start, God? At this season in our lives, we're standing here with our backs up against the water again. And God's saying to us, you've not been this way before. Don't expect the same thing. Expect something more dynamic. This is a new thing I'm doing. And as you stand with your backs against the water and we stand looking into this school and thinking, here we go again. No, we don't. Because, number one, we don't know what's on the other side of this river. Jericho's there. Number two, what's on the other side of Jericho? The promised land. Number three, what's in the promised land? God's promise, God's presence, God's kingdom. And just like that, we stand here. And no signs, no miracles, no great booming voices. And God's saying at this point, in our church lives and in our personal lives, for some of you guys who are in transition, He's saying, stand in the water. I don't care if the water's flooding. I don't care if the water's cold. I don't care if the water's deep. You're not going to be in it for long. All I care about is that you are in the water. The water is inconsequential. Listen, the water in our lives may be a lot of different things. It's all the things that make us want to turn back. Remember Peter getting out of the boat? The wind's blowing and the water's going and Jesus is standing in the water going, come on over here, Peter. Jesus meant for Peter to make it all the way to him. Peter did not make it all the way to him. He didn't finish that small journey. He started to fail because he looked around and he listened. And those things came around him and crushed him. Those things in our lives could be a number of things. It could be the people around us who are yelling, you can't do it, this is crazy, you're stupid. Or the people that you, or the things around us that go wrong, like the car breaks down, or the consequences of things, or finances being out of order, or, oh my gosh, look at the economy, or China, or this, or that. Earth. There will always be water. There will always be wind. There will always be waves. They are inconsequential. In themselves, the people involved, very important. The literal happening, inconsequential to the kingdom. It's just the water. Go, stand firm and watch. And as we stand in the middle of this pushing and this striving and this moving of the water and all those things that batter us on every side, the fears, the doubts, the screaming, that's where God comes. 
The miraculous happens there. The waters part. And everyone knows who is God. You've not been this way before. You know, I was thinking about this as far as with our church. Or even before I say that, there's one thing that I heard. I've heard a couple quotes. One of the quotes I heard, I can't remember who exactly said it. I wrote it down, but I didn't bring it today. Never, how was it put? Something like, never think you're doing the right thing until people start screaming at the wrong thing. Or, some of the point of, um, man, I'm totally burning this quote. But the heartbeat of it is, is, and it was somebody like Rockefeller that said it. People out on the cutting edge are always seen as crazy, and people that are truly creative are never known until after their time. If you're doing something new and different, you're not doing it right until people start saying you're doing it wrong. And people, people start saying, you can't do that. And if enough people are yelling, there's a slight possibility you may be on the brink of something. Those are just the distractions and the waves oftentimes. We're not talking about godly people who are founded and mentors and I'm with you, whether I understand or not, those kind of people. We're talking about folks that are just distractions. Those voices in our heads. Those voices that are around us. Those memories of things that people have said about us or to us before that hold us back from our destinies. Right? Here we are in this moment, and we need to stand in the water. I was thinking about this for the tapestry, about us as a church. And I was thinking about the fact that we've done a lot of outreach and seen, or a lot of ministry and seen no return direct from it except for one person, really. Like 10,000 bottles of water given away, all that other stuff. All these lists of stuff as we put together some of the numbers and tallied it up. We had this great time sharing you know, with people and showing kindness and showing God's heart. We don't know what happened. But in essence, you're, you're wondering sometimes, like, what effect and to what end? And then God starts speaking to me about the water and being in this moment and being good with it and started telling me and speaking to my heart, you know what, you're in a place where there's not been a lot of seeds sown and you're wanting to reap a harvest. You're looking around at your water that's pouring around you right now in the river is that you're not seeing the return you want to see. How do you see a return until somebody is faithful in the small? Let me start speaking to my heart about the small things and the standing firm and the commitment and covenant of being in this moment and not letting anything move me, not my experiences or my surroundings or what I see or I don't see that I want to see. And all of a sudden I got excited this partially, this conversation has been going on since Tajikistan. I'm, I'm going to start calling it T-Stand. So it says T-Stand. And because um, there's all these stands over there, and this one, the only major country stand that's got a T, I think. T-U-2-Z. Anyway, so, so T-Stand. And when I was over there, you know, I realized that, wow, the good part is planting the seeds because no one's planted and generations from now, if no one plants now, then they won't see anything. Whose fault is it that we don't see something now? The generation just before us. Somehow that generation just before us in this area missed something. There was consumerism or, or politics or something in their way. 
And they missed out on what God wanted us to do. And that's continuously every season to constantly be replanting and refilling the soil. Even if you have to change the type of the way you do the seed or whatever, it doesn't matter. Or what exactly, how you plant it, doesn't matter. We need to keep planting, ever planting, always planting. And I thought, wow, I have been given the opportunity to stand in the water. I've been given the opportunity to let things push and shove all around me. And my part in this story is planting. I may never see the harvest. Awesome. But I get to radically plant and broadcast the seed. I'm going to be a seed sower. I, this, this year, I want, to pl- I want to plant even more seed. Let's, let's do 10,000 bottles of water just this year. Let's double up. Double or nothing, right? Let's do other stuff. Let's, what else can we do? You know? Awesome. I love that I get to sow. You know something else? What about the prayers? We're talking about outreach, but what about prayers? Who's really walking the streets and praying? I've already been thinking about this. I'm writing it in my journal, and yesterday... I hear Phil Strout talking about how he used to pray over countries. They were at their Bible college, and they would get together every morning and pray at like 5 a.m. and seek God and pray in a circle, and they'd march and pray and march and pray and just be believing God for countries and opportunities. Every one of those guys turned into leaders of movements, and they went to those countries and got to go by an iron curtain before it fell. All these great stories, and I'm going, oh, my God, that's awesome. Got to share the faith everywhere. They did it. And I was reminded about me being in Carolina and how we got up in the mornings. We got up every Thursday morning. We got together and we prayed over our camps. We marched around. There's this big open space. Um, it's an outdoor theater. And we used to pray over it. God moved, moving this campus, moving the world. Then we would claim nations. God, you're going to give me this and you're going to be this. And I was reminded of how I used to claim crazy stuff like Washington, D.C. and never thought about it. Never thought about it. Never thought I would end up here. And so I we used to pray, God, give us this this, this very school. And you know what we used to pray? This is funny. God, we pray that you would give us this theater so that your praises will be sung even outdoors on this campus right here in this place. And in 1997, whenever everything was breaking loose in the kingdom, and there were souls, people coming to know Jesus left and right. There was worship out in the middle of the courtyards. There were people just coming out just to praise Jesus. People accepting the Lord in, in just massive numbers. And everywhere we went, we preached openly. And people would accept the Lord. It was the strangest thing. People walk up and ask you, how do I know Jesus? I'm thinking, this is like straight out of the Bible. And that season when we did the um, forest fire, and there were 3,000 students that came out, and 250 decisions for the kingdom, just in one evening. And then revival broke out in the campus ministries, and they all grew, and they like doubled and tripled in a matter of weeks. And then check this out. And then at the end of the year, Whenever we heard the Campus Crusade was doing a huge meeting, we didn't plan this, doing a huge meeting in the outdoor amphitheater. And I remember standing, because there was no sitting room, standing all the way up at the top of it, all the way up against almost where the road is and the trees in, and looking down at the stage where we used to march around and pray and thinking, ah, you did it! Ah! Go Jesus. And you know what I get to do now? That was the Red Sea. And here's the Jordan. And I get to start praying again. We have only just started. It's just about to get good now. 
We're going to cross this river. We're going to stand in this water. God's going to move. The problem with us in the church is we keep remembering the past and clinging to it, not looking to the future and not embracing the now. I recognize where I am. I realize the audiences that are around me. I understand that there is no opportunity. And I stand and embrace and am excited and supercharged inside that I get to be here in this season for this generation, for this time. And you do too. Wherever you're at, wherever you're called, it's your season. India, not a big deal. Demons all around you. Government's against you. People hate you because you just believe. And you stand. If someone doesn't sow, no one gets to reap. I'm going to go down sowing. My kids or grandkids or something down the road are going to get to reap. Right? Rock on. This is my part of the story. This is your part of the story. Check this out. Oftentimes in the church we live for the plateaus. This is what, this is what the Lord spoke to me as we were going up in the mountains of T-Stand. We're going up in the mountains of T-Stand. Did I tell you all what I did up there? <laughs> we're in the mountains, and I'm pretty sure, I'm almost 100% sure, I'm the first person that's yelled Jesus, screamed Jesus from those mountaintops. You should have seen the reaction of the people we got with us. You know? I was like, hey man, I'm the first person that gets to yell, Jesus! As hard as I could across that country. You know, I'm standing here. That way's Afghanistan. That way's T-Stan. I'm going, Jesus! You know? Because everywhere his name goes, he brings healing. And boy, they need it. But as I'm driving up in the mountains, we're coming up the mountain, I just hear the Lord talking to me. There's stuff just downloading in me. It's still going on. It's awesome. I'm getting these downloads. For years, I'm waiting for God to talk a lot. Bam! Now he's downloading stuff. I'm going, oh, hold on. Breather. Okay. My hand hurts from journaling. I've got a carpal tunnel going on from God downloading information. You know? God, heal my hand so I can keep writing. Amen. Just, but seriously, we're driving up. He's downloading information. And one thing he speaks to me is, hey, check out how beautiful this drive is. I was like, oh, this drive is awesome. Yo, oh my God, Jesus, this is my favorite thing. My favorite thing. My favorite thing is the drive up the mountain. He speaks to me. He's like, you know, in your life, do you know how many times you're always seeking plateaus? We go from mountaintop to mountaintop in the Christian life, or in life in general. Spiritual high to spiritual high. Want another retreat. Want another refreshing. Want another event. Want another great thing. Once you got to move again. We are adrenaline junkies in the church. Right? Plateaus and mountaintops are very small. They're little tiny things. They're called peaks. They end quickly. When you hit it, you're done with it in just a matter of moments, and then where are you going? Back down the hill. 
The downhill is just as long as the uphill. Right? Let's get this straight. I'm going to enjoy this part a lot more. And then the plateau is going to go, take a deep breath and remember the uphill and the plateau is about to get a little bumpy, you know? And then when the downhills come, I'm going to survive those. But I am not, let me, let me, I am not going to just live for those plateaus. I'm going to live right now in the journey of coming off the downhill. Right now is the time to live in our struggles as we start to feel God bringing us out of the hole. Praise God, that is the story. That's the good stuff. Listen, the third world countries don't need to know how great we've done. They don't need to know about God's promises being answered. Yes, that gives them hope for a better future, but in America, all we live for is the future. And tomorrow, I just told you, sometimes doesn't come. What if their tomorrow isn't that? i tell you what I can do. I can tell them about every struggle that I've had, that I've held on to Jesus, and He has been with me in the struggle. I can talk about Him being with me, and there being a better day, and living from struggle to struggle, and seeing Jesus overcome every one of them. I can tell them about the peace that comes and passes all understanding. I can tell them about a God who came and became a human being so that He could struggle, and He could feel our struggles, and He could die on a cross so that in another eternity He would live again. I can tell them of that kind of God who came to be with them, Emmanuel, God with us, in the midst of the struggle. They put flesh on and had poopy diapers. Right? That's real. That's the uphill. That's the kind of God we serve. All of a sudden, I love the uphill... I like having my back against the water. And I just want to remind us of something I said before I went to T-Stand to finish up today. I think about this when I think about this passage. Josh was sitting here back against the water. What do I do now, God? Well, you're going to do what I tell you to do, and that's stand in that water. And then when I come, you're going to see me move. And then when you get across there... Nobody's even going to question whether or not you're a leader any longer. That's what Johnny told me one of the last times we got together. He says, Dustin, honeymoon's over. Welcome to church. And he says, there's one thing that's for sure. You've survived a lot. When you're done with this next season, no one's even going to question whether or not you're a leader. That part's been answered. From here and on, we just wonder what you're going to do with it. I'm standing here in the water. And I'm thinking, is this going to get better fast? All right, God, big miracles and let's be done with it. God's like, all right, how about you stand in the water, cross water, and then go march around the city for a while? His decisions are a little weird to me. And his answers are pretty bizarre. They do not make human sense. Okay, let me ask you a question. If you were God, what's the best way to, to save the human race? Ooh, ooh, I got an idea. Born in a barn, poopy diapers, 30 years of hanging out, and then do three years of good stuff, and then let everybody kill you for it. Does that sound like a good idea? Good thing we're not God, right? <laughs> that would mess everything up. And check this out. What about this? I got a great idea to get you in the promised land. Forget huge, crazy miracles. How about you stand in water, it's parted, you go around, and then you're going to march around the city for a few days. 
You're going to march around the city. You're not going to do any bombs or explosives. Walls are going to fall, and then you're going to fight. After you finish fighting, I'm going to let you fight for a long time. Years and years and years. And then you can have the land. Ooh, 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 sign me up twice, God. Do you want to join in on that plan? He has the craziest ideas of a good idea, you know? I mean, that does not sound like a good idea to me. A better idea would be, okay, God, all the angels of heaven come and crush everything. And let me have it, right? Isn't that how we pray in America? God, just give us the land. Just give us the land. Have you marched around it? Have you stood in the water? Are you getting me? Just give us the land. The last part of this is about, listen, it's about God's plan not being immediate. It's all about the constant consistency of commitment and covenant. Standing firm. The passage says, when you've done all to stand, stand then, stand firm. Okay, you just told me to stand three times. When do I get to sit down? You know what I'm saying? I'm being a little goofy, but honestly, our ideas are a lot different from God's. Check this out, and I'll repeat this, this little illustration, because God really spoke it to my heart again when I was in T-stand, standing on a bus in the middle of public with part of the, the believers, and we're hanging out on the bus, driving through, and I start getting excited, because a 16-year-old is talking to me about his experiences there and how it was hard for him. He's from the U.S. And so I was like, well, I said, your being here makes a difference. It means your folks can be here. You know, it's amazing to me because, check this out. It's helped me connect with my calling again, even for young people. And I look at him, I said, you know, most folks focus on your folks being here and doing what they do, but they don't think about what it means for you to be here and support them. If you weren't here supporting them, I'm not sure that they could be here. And you have made it happen for them. Do you know what's cool about that? What's cool is this. When you walk down the street, the kingdom is at hand. And there's only a few of y'all here in this country that can do that, carry the kingdom around and let people get touched. But you're here doing it. And then I said, and you know what else is cool? You're out here sowing seed when nobody else is. You're the first. That's the best part. And I was just repeating stuff that God's been talking to me. And I said, you know, people want to come here and they think American and they think Western and let's see an immediate result. I'm sure you've seen people come and try to do stuff quick. That's not God's heart here. God's heart's for the long term. And you know what makes me excited back home? He's like, what's that? What makes me excited back home is knowing that I get to commit and covenant and connect and embrace my now and struggle with it and struggle with it and struggle with it until finally God comes and does something. I get to go and sow seed. I get to go and pray and build the prayer covering. I get to be the one who is a pioneer in this work. And then everyone else gets to reap from that. That's exciting. You're doing that. And I said, you know, we want stuff quick, don't we? And here's the illustration, and we're done. We want stuff quick, don't we? And he's like, yeah, well... And I said, think about it, okay? In our concepts, cooking takes too long because... And remember this? I'm going back here. I want to repeat it today. Cooking takes too long. You don't want to oven bake it. You don't want to cook it on a stovetop. You want it microwave fast. But what tastes the best? The stuff that takes longer to cook. And I can take a chunk of meat and put it in a crock pot. I really said this to him. He goes, he's sitting there. I said, you know what a crock pot is? He goes, yeah. I said, I could take a chunk of the hardest, nastiest meat, put it in a crock pot, 
season it up real good, let it cook for a day or a day and a half. And then that's the softest, tastiest piece of meat that you could ever have. That's the best stuff. And that tastes much better than what you get in a microwave. We want microwave grace. We want a microwave movement. We want a microwave response from God. And we want microwave heaven to come and a microwave kingdom to be established. But that's not the good stuff. The best stuff is what takes a crock pot time to get it done. And I said, I like the crock pot of God. I'm in for the long haul. I want to plant the seed over time. I want to spend my life pouring into a people. And I want to see it grow and, and this and, and subside and grow and subside. And, and I want to keep doing that and stretching and going until finally, years down the road, the next generation gets this tasty piece of meat. And then they walk out in this area and they're like, you know, it's so easy to share the gospel and people just love Jesus here. Crock-pot grace, not microwave. We want it too quick, too fast. God's idea of a good time is not our idea of a good time. Our idea of a good time is a great service with God moving at the end and the worship leader singing, Woo, kumbaya, my Lord. You know, we like that stuff. You know what we don't like? We don't like living every day at our workplace. We don't like going every day to our schools. We don't like turning in essays and exam papers with little snippets of God to get us a D. We don't like getting up in the morning and praying for a few minutes for God to move. We don't like having to deal with our neighbor who ticks us off. We don't like, we don't like, we don't like, what if, what if what we don't like is exactly why we're here? What if that is heaven? What if it's not just a distraction? What if it is the very purpose of God? And what if our continued commitment and covenant to it, the ongoing struggle of the day, It's going to part the water. I challenge us today to stand. Stand with our feet in the water. Stand knowing that God's going to do something amazing. Recognize that it's not going to look the way it did before, but be excited about what it looks like today. Know that God is moving now. Embrace it. Love it. Plant, water, struggle, and live. As we close in this time, I want to ask um, Patrick, if you'll come and start to uh, bring it home. You know, the, the best part of the whole time being there was understanding something that Peter actually spoke over me before I went. And I was talking about this this morning. This is awesome. You guys, i, I got to tell you, excites my heart to get to be a part of what we're doing for the long haul. This is the rest of my life. I love it. This is great stuff. Every day I wake up and I get to be a part of a new adventure. I got these great stories. I can tell you about all the miracles, but it's really uphill battles that's going to grow this thing more. Check this out. As I'm sitting there overseas and 
I'm thinking about this one word that was prayed over me as you guys sent me out. You all prayed around me and prayed over me, and, and then I went to T-Stand, and of course I'd speak the last Sunday we were there for um, one of the places. And so as I was getting ready to prepare, I start speaking my heart about that topic. And what Peter prayed is he said, um, Lord, be with us, and because he's to go there and um, teach the people how to be martyrs. And I was like, ooh, I don't like that word. New word, God. You know, it's like, not that one. But as I was there, I realized that dying daily is what Paul did. And it actually is the only way to truly live. We die to ourselves daily. We live. It brings us to life. The only way to be alive to Christ is to die to our desire and this every day. And we all should be learning to be martyrs. Every day dying for Him. So when you wake up in the morning, you think, oh, this is killing me. think, right on. Sweet. It is killing me. <laughs> awesome. I embrace it. What's the opportunity in it, God? What are you trying to show me? That's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I love it. Get it? And these folks over there, they're the cutting edge ones. They make me feel shameful. I'm proud of them. Because they live in the midst of death. I see the joy on their faces. And I think honestly, Peter didn't know it. I didn't know it. They didn't even know what happened. But while I was there, they taught me about dying daily again. I think they taught me how to be a martyr. How to live as a martyr. And have joy in the midst of it. You can't stop Delavar from laughing and smiling. You know? I just speak to my soul. Today as we close, stand in the water. Sound good? Let's stand. Lord, I pray that you will help us stand in the water this morning. That we will not give up on the struggle. We will not give up on the battle. And we won't think, oh no, what was us? Don't let us feed into that, Jesus. Help us to embrace our now, embrace our present. Help us to fall in love with your calling for us. Help us see the joy in it. And Lord, help us to be the, sow, the seed sowers, the plant waterers, the struggle embracers, the story makers. Help us to embrace our part in the story and remember that it's, it is valuable. Help us not be for the quick fix. Help us to look for the long haul. Lord, not for a, a quick race or a short jaunt, but a, a long run. And as we come to this transition point, we stand in the water. God, may we see your hand. May we see your hand. And Lord, not for us. It's not for us. It's never for us. But for your glory, do this thing. Lord, our prayer from now on is that we would continue every day to live, not for us, but for your glory, that all that is done in and through us from now on will be for your glory, Jesus, that you will display who you are to the rest of the world because of what you're doing in and through us. Let that be our story. Let that be our prayer. Let that be our struggle. Let that be our embrace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.